This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Beep, beep, and welcome to the 26th episode of MM Plays. Tonight we discuss GM intrusion and consent in your tabletop role-playing games. But first, my name is Jerry. Beep, beep. My name is Phil. The reason they keep beeping is because there was a car that started beeping when we tried to record this episode that beeped for two minutes across the street. And I don't record in a soundproof room yet. And I'm Chris. What's up, everybody? No, hey. beep, beep, you're Chris. I already yeah. explained the beep, <laughs> beep. Beep, beep, Bob is still on hiatus, but yes. he will be back in, uh, next week. So To be uh, clear. Yes. We're recording the we're recording last episodes batches. back to back. Yeah. So Bob's actually still just not here. He's not, there's not something wrong with yeah, Bob. Yeah, he's fine. He's no, fine. Just, he had a rough day. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's do some announcements. Phil. Oh, hey, we, we actually have an announcement. We have a congratulations. You remember Doc, right? Yeah, from the lounge. From the lounge. Doc yeah, and gamers. Yeah, Doc and his wife just had a baby. Very, very nice. Um, congratulations, yeah, Doc. Margaret is, yeah. is, is and, her and name. Um, or... For short, Mickey. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, Mickey. Cute. It's I love cute. it. So I, I'm, I'm disappointed that her name is in the same spell forwards and backwards. No, but their initials, <laughs> their initials, because um, it's Margaret Carol. I'm not going to say Doc's last name. I don't remember if he uses it on the. I don't remember either. Yeah. So anyway. Is it MGM? Uh, no, it's M- MCE. 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 Yeah. Mickey. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, lovely. That's yeah. cool. Mickey. That's awesome. Good. Yeah. That's cute. awesome. Really cute. Really anyway, congratulations, Doc. Get some sleep when you can get it. Sleep when baby sleeps is mm-hmm. the uh, yep. is the rule. And prepare yourself for a life of poop. There's at least a year of poop coming up. Maybe longer. There's a chapter in the baby book I read when I was a new dad entitled Everything You Need to Know About Your Baby is in its diaper. I'm not saying we have to talk about any detail, but it is. there's some good advice in there. So uh, if you like poop... Apparently. No, 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 nope. X card. Nope. I got, hard, I got hard limits on that. You started this. There aren't Anyways. a lot of kinks I have. There. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. There are a lot of kinks I have. That's not one yeah, of them. Anyways, scat, scat is not part of it. Get out. If you like podcasts and you were enjoying this podcast, regardless of the poop content, there are other shows in the Misdirected Right Network that we'd appreciate if you went and listened to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pandas, Taco with Advantage. How about that Gnomecast thing? That Gnomecast thing's good when the Pretty gnomes good. get together. I like that a lot. Do that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, if you're interested in podcasts, me and Jerry record a horror show called Coffee Flavored Horror, where we talk about the good, the bad, the horrifying, and the horrifyingly cheesy. There you go. We have a lot of fun there. We did Alien not too long ago. Yeah. Yes, you haven't done Aliens, though. No, because I've never no. seen it. No, I know. We, we're, we're gonna, waiting to have a movie night with we're you. We're going to have a movie night with you to watch Aliens. I fucking love that movie. We just right. came up with another one you got to watch, though. Company of Wolves. It is time to move on. Mm-hmm. It is time to move on to the actual content of the show. The actual show. Wait, is, is Brotherhood of a, Brotherhood of the Wolf? That's just an action movie. Right? This right. is an action flick. It's, it's got some like horror elements movie. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you All know, right. werewolves. Anyways, moving on. Let's go on to the workshop. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the old workshop. That is the old workshop. I totally grabbed a You, you intruded. You I intruded included. and used the old workshop there. I'm going to save your throat to this workshop. Yes. Oh. Where we try to build better games. That's a throwback. I didn't realize that was still in the, in the, in the stores. Hilarious. I'm going to make this work, right? Normally, I would do my thing that, you know, the procedure of the show is that I would do the workshop thing. But in this case, uh, Chris has made an editorial intervention. I have. By 
just putting in the old sound and I don't have a choice. I can't do my normal bit. Mm-hmm. So we, we often talk about the importance of player agency in role playing games. Some gamers like to feel that they control their characters actions and get to decide how they behave during encounters. Yeah, but sometimes the adventure works better where the GM takes control of the entire scene, dictates what happens, and then talks about the results without engaging the actual player agency. Right. So tonight we're going to discuss games and situations where allowing the GM complete narrative control benefits the adventure and story, even if it gives the characters a temporary setback. Now, before we take a deep dive into this, let's get some basic definitions. And that means... Behold! You are in the presence of Definition Panda. Coolio, let's talk about some... uh, Let's talk about some definitions. Uh, So first of all, narrative control. In RPGs, narrative control is the act of describing the locations, people, and actions that are occurring in the game outside of the mechanics of the game. In most RPGs, the GM has the lion's share of narrative control. Uh, But a lot of games, especially newer games, will hand off narrative control to players from time to time. Mechanics. In RPGs, this is the procedures and mechanisms. And we use those terms very specifically. These are misdirected mark terms. So procedures are the structured order of the game. And mechanisms are things like specific rules, when to roll dice, like what dice you roll, all of that stuff. When you get your uh, currency of the game. Exactly. So in RPGs, mechanics are the procedures and mechanisms of the game that ultimately make up the rules of the game. They are often engaged by the narrative. So, you know, there's this cycle and you see it best in um, Power by the Apocalypse games. Narrative, mechanic, narrative is a very typical pattern that we see in RPGs. So we have um, the narrative engaging the mechanics and the mechanics informing the narrative. And that is like how we get things like combat turns and skill checks and things like that. Player agency, which we just talked about at the intro of this That is the narrative control that is given to a player character's actions in the game. In most games, the player who is playing the character has total freedom to determine the character's actions in the game. Now, you might be hemmed in like in a combat turn with like action economies and things like that. Like those are mechanics that kind of govern those things. But you as a player can decide whether you turn left or right. I don't get to decide that for you. Like I don't tell you like, oh, you want to turn right. That's me encroaching on your agency. Now, there are some notable exceptions to this that happen in games, mind control, charm spells, prismatic sprays, shit like that, confusion spells and stuff like that can kind of mess with this. Reducing you to zero hit points. That's an interesting one. Man, your your no, you're agency right, is you, gone. You wind up, yes, when you run out of your points, you lose your agency in the game. You are 100% correct. Yeah. yeah. So those are things that will actually, mechanics that will actually take away agency. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then narrative intervention. This is when the GM uses their narrative control in a way that limits player agency and depending on the game overrides mechanics. It's a tool that the GM can use to produce specific narrative moments or outcomes in the game. Are we all good with those terms? Yes. Uh Yeah. Okay. Dokie. Based on that, then take it away. All right. I'm sorry. I want to say stuff, but I can't. There's this heavy hand of narration just on me. You may not speak. You may not speak. (laughs) You go to speak, but suddenly your mic doesn't work. If only everybody could see me mouthing at my microphone right now. I feel like they could have heard that, though. That's that. You know what? That's not Jerry. Of of the not kinks under Jerry's list, that is definitely not one of them. (laughs) The the ASMR. ASMR. 
Yeah. It's been driving me nuts lately. I've watched a lot of, <laughs> of shows about people making and cooking things, and they've lately gotten much noisier about it. And it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear them chopping vegetables. Anyway, what this leads into, though, is that in both of our recent Cortex games, both Ox and Children of the Shroud, there were story situations where Phil, as our GM, took control of the entire encounter. He just described what happened without any of us rolling dice or actually taking actually controlled actions, and instead just told us what happened and what the effects were until the scene was, was done. And, of course, it was a lot of fun for everybody. Yeah. So, uh, Phil, can you tell us your thoughts on how and why you used the narrative control in Ox and Children of the Shroud? Yeah, so by way of recap, in case you uh, weren't listening to the Children of the Shroud episodes, and obviously nobody's listening to the Ox stuff, so I'll tell you about that too. So in Children of the Shroud, we are specifically talking about the scene where Silas, T, and Gunny go and confront Mr. Flamesworth about the recorded message, that magically recorded message on the rock. So Mr. Flamesworth, realizing exactly what it is and knowing that the teens have stumbled on it, just walks around the room lighting some candles all around the characters and initiates a ritual spell that is going to erase everyone's memory of what has transpired for their own safety. I didn't allow any rolls, and by the time I narrated that the candles were lit, I had already was like, nope, that ritual is now fully in effect. Mm-hmm. And then I let you guys play out the scene a little because I even told you what happened, right? He even said to you, like, I'm erasing, I'm erasing your memories of this for your own good. That's only because I called him on it. Correct. You yeah. did because he actually wouldn't have said it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You called him on it and he was like, fine, I'm doing this. Right. And then I just hard cut you guys to sitting around the table having a snack thinking, yeah, we talked to Mr. Flamesworth and everything seems okay. So I use this to override any potential mechanics because there was a point when it started where I think it was T who went to like put out one of the candles, Mm -hmm. like to try to disrupt the spell. But I was like, nope, that's not happening. It's already going on. Like I'm not even letting a roll happen for that. And I just, again, the heavy hand of narration, I just cut the scene and opened a new one. In Ox, it was a little different. Same kind of outcome, though. So in Ox, you geniuses were investigating a transdimensional spatial fracture. It's just cool to say. And part of that fracture extended into the fifth dimension, which messes with probability. So you were sending a probe to go look into the fracture. And now normally we would make a roll for that. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, somebody, I think it was Bob, right? Built up the dice pool for it. And then I was like, don't roll. And I narrated what happened and it was a failure. I was like, oh, the probe goes in. And it goes haywire in a few seconds and it stops transmitting data. It's destroyed. And then you all looked at me and I paused for a second. And then I started again with, oh, the probe leaves the ship. It heads into the fracture. And I told you like a little bit of detail. And then I paused again. I went back and I described, oh, the probe is heading into the fracture. And this time I gave you more detail, which was the heroic success. So we actually I narrated in a row, all three potential outcomes of what Bob's dice roll could have produced, which was the idea that the fracture in the fifth dimension was causing all probable things to happen at the same time. And so in essence, I won, I overrode the mechanics because I actually halted the dice roll and just narrated outcomes. And I basically just narrated my, what I wanted to tell you in increasing detail from destroyed to some detail, to the um, heroic detail, and then let you act on the combination of all that data. Before we get any deeper into this, let's just start with a high-level question. All right. Um, As a player, a GM, or both, 
what are your feeling about the GM intrusions? Do you like them? Do you tolerate them? Do you hate them? What do you think? It's fine. It's it's just fine. You you wanted a short answer. I did. I how about what what would your medium answer look like? Now that Bob's not here, we can have a medium answer. What's your medium answer? It's a perfectly legitimate mechanic in games. It's not one that I tend to use a lot. I don't know. I just don't like it. It's not that I don't like it. It's a tool, right? So I use it when it's appropriate, but I don't often have... Re- I try not to put myself in places where I have to. So. Like many things, I like it when it's used properly and used sparingly and doesn't end up dictating what the players think or feel. I fall in right with you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% with Chris. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's not one that I run to to grab out of the toolbox. When I use it, I try to be very careful about using it. It's one of the reasons why I don't like... Uh, Cypher system GM intrusions, it's not my favorite mechanic in the game. No, I will say this, and we'll get into cypher system intrusions in a little bit. I know why it's there. I know who really the, like, part of the target audience for that game is, and I think it's cool that it's there for newer GMs, but a lot of times I can just, like, I could operate without it. I don't mind changing situations and then providing everybody some amount of currency in the game for that that's why the, the cypher system thing is fine for me but it seems like the the intent of that is like you don't foreshadow it when you foreshadow something then it makes it feel a lot better oh so here cool let's talk about a thing right i like this the softer version of a gm intrusion is the soft move hard move combo correct and i know this is a personal favorite of yours because i remember the day you discovered the linkage between soft and hard moves and like like a decade, years ago, ago, yes. a decade ago, like 10 years ago, <laughs> you were very excited about it and you've never, and again, you've never lost it because it's one of those things that you liked so much that it incorporated into your actual GMing style. Do you know what the, the OSR calls it? They call it foreshadowing danger. Sure. It, yeah. It's, it's smart. Like they, they have all these interesting terms and it functions a little bit differently. Right. And so the idea, soft move, hard move or foreshadowing danger, the idea is that if you set it in the narrative early and in time for players to do something about it, then if they don't and it happens to them, that's on them. If I tell you, you are moving through this cavern and little pebbles and rocks with each step you're taking is falling from the ceiling and you don't check the ceiling, you don't ask if you can walk softer or you don't cast a spell, whatever, to handle this, the imminent collapse of that ceiling, that's on you. An intrusion would be like you guys walk into the hallway and then I just drop the ceiling on you. Here, everybody have a point. Right? Like, mm-hmm. But I think that's a cool, I mean, again, this, just, this is the stuff that kind of comes up spontaneously. I think that's a great contrast is this foreshadow danger to, versus the To, the to correct myself, it's not foreshadow danger, it's telegraph danger. Oh, telegraph, telegraph danger. danger. Well, that's perfect, right? Telegraph danger, yeah. mm-hmm. soft move, hard move. Yep. yep. Right, if you're playing Powered by the Apocalypse games, a lot of people know this. Jason Cordova is the one who taught it to me eons ago when he was doing Discern Realities, when he was doing the actual yeah. plays. He's so good at setting up, like, here's the soft move, mm-hmm. it's coming, it's on you now to deal with that. Yeah, and if you don't, you're probably dead. He does that a lot. Yeah, uh, but I think that's a really cool way to contrast it because my preference, and I'm sure it's yours as well, and my preference is to telegraph danger. Yeah. I will tell you like, oh, you smell ozone as you're getting near this, like as you're getting near the power junction. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just grab it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we let, we let Silas bring us into his office where he described the 
the arcane whatever's there. I mean, we were no. There's no telegraph danger. There was no that. telegraph danger. There's no. Situation. There's no way you knew he was going to wipe your memories no, out. No, we knew we were someplace dangerous, though. I didn't think we were someplace dangerous at all. I trusted my dad. Yes, and in a way, you still kind of do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we still do. <laughs> yeah, and it's okay because, like I said, my preference, the tool I prefer, is telegraph danger, because I like that because I came from. As just an aside, when I first learned to play D&D as a wee lad 40 years ago, the GM I played with was not particularly good. I will always be thankful to him for teaching me Dungeons and Dragons, but he was older. He was 12 to my 10 and Rocks Fall You Die was not far from his GMing style. And so that really heavy hand, that kind of intrusive like oh that shit just happened ha 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 it's just crushing my chest yeah it's it, like, feel good. it crushed my soul it's actually what led me to stop playing with him and start learning how to uh, dm myself so i have a real aversion to it so i am very hesitant which is why when i even thought of it for ox what did i do the week leading into ox you asked us yeah you, you, you told us that you said this is gonna get try, weird right you're trying yeah, something different, to do something weird i did ask you guys i was like please trust me I want to do something a little weird here. I think it's going to work, but like, just go with me. Give me some rope. Not, not that long ago, I played with some other GMs. And one of the things that I always felt that was the GM thought it was a, a fair intrusion. And it always rubbed me the wrong way was when they told you how your character felt or what they thought. Oh. You suddenly see somebody lying on the ground and it makes you feel sadder than you've ever felt before. Oh, no, no, I'm like, no, 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 don't tell me that. That's what I said when I said, as long as they're not trying to dictate what you think or feel. To me, so to me, that's not an intrusion. That is encroaching on player agency. Now, yeah. if you have a reason for that. Well, that's some heavy hand of narration stuff right there. Right. Yeah. Like, if, that, a reason, yeah. if you have a reason that you just haven't told the players, like, oh, there's a spell in this area, there's my, like a monster or whatever, that's one thing. But if you're just like describing shit and you're like, by the way, Jerry, uh, you see this body, you've never been sadder before in your life. To me, that is a narration too far. Yeah. Yeah. Good, Chris. Unless you say, man, you see this body and for some reason you feel sadder. Yes. 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 Than you've ever felt in your yes. entire life. Yes. yes. Now it's, there's something, it's not, you're like, why do I feel this way? Because it's not the normal way that now, I would feel. Exactly. Now, not, not a great, now I'll be honest, not a great GM. And they were doing it because they assumed a relationship that wasn't there, but Unless, like you said, mind control or something else like that, or a magical effect, I think that GM intrusion should never be telling the players what they feel or think about something. I think there's a nice boundary at the edge of the character. Yeah, let's clarify real quick. Yeah. Not about GM intrusion. If you're going to heavy hand of narration, a thing, if you're going yeah. to dictate a situation, mm-hmm. then maybe don't tell a player how they feel. Yes. Yeah, in, in the course of general narration, right, I stop at the player. Now, if I wanted you to potentially feel bad about this, and mm. I thought I understood the relationship of this character. Mm-hmm. I might be like, oh, you, you know, you see the fallen knight on the ground as Kitty flies off mm-hmm. into the. <laughs> Favorite part of the book. I know. I'm sure I'm trolling. I'm Stern. Yes. I, I, isn't he heartless? I fucking hated Stern. That's like so my, much. Man. That is my favorite piece of artwork from that entire show. You're so yes. sad. Yes. I'm so sad for you. All I love time. that artwork. It's, it's a what? death of Sturm. I'm, d- I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going on a rant now. <laughs> Jerry, somebody hurt Jerry when he was younger as a role player. He hates anything that's like any kind of emotionally like legitimate. He has no mercy for any enemy, whether they're good or bad or gray. He's just fucking kill everybody. Well, who are you? Like, you're just the bad guy here. You, yeah. you're, an, you're evil. 
Those you are de- de- definitely like lawful fucking ne- ne- neutral no. evil, man. No, you not. are neutral evil. This shit evil. happens only when Bob's not here to keep us under control. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just, I was gonna say, I liked most of the books. By the time Sturm came, I'm like, this guy is the buzzkill for the entire thing. Fuck he's been, that, man. You know what the uh, best part about that book uh, is? Been, is when uh, Rastelin is like, oh, you're not actually a Knight of Salamia, yet you still believe all this shit. So it's all about how you feel and what you believe in. I was like, fuck, man, Sturm is awesome. He does this even though he doesn't have to. He follows a code because it's his code. That's He's good. like a wandering samurai. I'm, I'm 100% so, with Chris. So at, you're wrong. At age 15, I didn't get that out of that book. Well, that's, that's not was, my fault because I, I did. It's sometimes <laughs> hard to get some nuance out of there, but yeah. also I shouldn't have just trolled J- Jerry on that piece because yeah, okay. there was a point I was actually yeah, making. No, I know that. But I, I'm with, I, I didn't get that when I was 15. I, I'm with Jesus Chris. Christ. Stop talking about stuff if you haven't read it in 30, 40 years. I, I, mean, I mean, I liked Kitiara and I liked Ray Stalin, So Yeah, the bad guys. Yeah, you're evil. You're not helping your argument, man. You liked the bad guys. Like, to be clear, neither one of them is inherently oh, I, good. I did not root for Kitiara. She got what she deserved. That's fine. But I rooted for Raistlin, but he was sure, a different character. Sure, but he's also bad guy. Oh, he's very. He's, he's also very bad guy. Though he might be worse bad guy. Though Carm. Though, though Carmen's. Anyway, we're not gonna get into the whole Carmen thing. <laughs> anyway, like Carmen I'm idiot. gonna. I'm gonna be Bob for a second. Let me put this. <sighs> let me put this back together. If I wanted to elicit a feeling from you, right? Yes. Narration wise, mm-hmm. what I would do is I would describe like, okay, you see this fallen knight, you recognize them. Like, let's just say there wasn't a mistake about yeah. who it was. What I would, the next thing I would do is, right? I would just ask you, tell me what you're feeling right now, looking down at your fallen comrade in front of, like, I would set you up with a yep. couple leading questions to walk you into having that discussion. That was actually where I was going with that was that I think that the better answer to that is ask the players what they feel and why they feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or just lead him into it. Like, this is a person that you fought with in the war that saved your life multiple times. How do you feel? There you go. Right. And if you really want to fuck with him because you have time, yeah. be like, hey, see this body on the ground. Tell me the battle that you two thought you were going to die in that you somehow survived together. And it was him that made right. it that you survived. Exactly. Right. Then yes. Now let's get back to how you feel. Yes. Like, Because sometimes you have to do that. Right. Yes. And, and that's when you go from disinterest to blood fueled rampage. It goes great. From an inexperienced side, right? So inexperienced GMs will use this intrusion because they haven't learned the other techniques for how to coax this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. There's a soft game to this and there's a hard game. Yes. And you over the years learn how to steer things and guide things to make those things happen in a game. When you are inexperienced or younger or whatever, you wind up just kind of, you know, putting your thumb on the scale, like trying to make shit happen. That's where this can accidentally occur. And I, th- and I think a lot of his answering, asking questions, asking questions to the players is always a good way to get an idea yeah, of where to go next. Absolutely. Because it invokes agency. Yep. We're not even close to we're, talking about jam intrusions. We're, we're paddling heavy, the heavy hand of narration. I've been on tilt now about the, the Sturm thing. Can we, uh, can, can <laughs> we paddle talk, back to shore? Let's talk about trust and investment real quick. There we let's, go. Let's do that. Um, <laughs> everyone has to have some level of investment in the game, the mechanics and the structure of the adventure investment in the game. And in the story is what allows us to be able to put the story ahead of those characters. Yeah, that said, while player agency is important, there are times where the GM may need to simply just narrate a scene to move the story forward and then kind of just tell the players what happened. I'm using either Children of the Shroud or Ox as an example. Let's talk about trust. Okay, uh, let's talk about trust, Let, I guess. Let's talk about the gradient of trust, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I like, because when, when we did the prep for the show, Chris's answer on trust is very truthful. Are you telling me how I feel? 
Yeah, I'm going to tell you, you, you told me, motherfucker. It's written right here. I'm not telling you. I'm reading your shit. I don't know what anybody's talking about. I didn't write any of this. He's about to say, no one's got proof. I know. It's I, literally you could, right you here. screenshot yeah. it if you wanted. Anyway, so there are levels of trust. And so Chris started with like mm-hmm. the straightest flat up, like, if I didn't trust Phil, what? I wouldn't, I would have stopped gaming after like two or three sessions. Absolutely. Like I'm not playing with somebody I don't trust. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If, if in two or three sessions, I couldn't convince you to trust me as a GM, that is also a problem. Mm-hmm. But trust is a thing that's earned over time. Through a variety of ways. Yeah. I mean, trust is usually a thing like you put something out there expecting a certain like result and you get it. Yeah. Right. Like. You take leeway with your character or something, and I'm right there with you to support you on it. Mm-hmm. Or I have an opportunity where I could just rock fall and kill your character, but I don't. Yeah. There's negative actions that deteriorate trust, positive actions that build trust. Now, when it comes to Children of the Shroud or Ox, either of those games are playing Cortex. Mm-hmm. I have some amount of faith in the system, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like trust in the system. I say faith because I'm trying to delineate the difference between trust and faith. It's not really a delineation. I'm just using clever words to go to two different sides of the thing. You have to have faith in order for that to work. I know, right? (laughs) Sorry, that's your other podcast. That's the other podcast. That is our (laughs) other podcast. (laughs) Fright Night. I know, it's just getting a plug in there for you guys. Yeah, thanks. The game gives me some amount of things to latch onto that I can utilize. Yes. My character sheet, the mechanics, the play style, and then I've played enough games with Phil that, like we said, trust has been built up. Mm -hmm. So if Phil turns to me and says, I would do something weird, I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Which was exactly what you guys wrote back to me when I wrote it down. And it's also session like 20 something. Mm -hmm. 26? Sure. So there's momentum too. There's a whole lot of reasons why it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say this. I wrote that message to you guys because I didn't want to take that for granted. I think if you're going to ever make a mistake with an established group, it's when you kind of take those things for granted. Like I could have been like, oh man, we've been playing for like 15 years. Mm We've played tons of games together. We played this game for a bunch. I can just fucking do this. Like I can pull this shit off and they'll they'll eat it up. You start to get towards the hubris side of that is when you have a good chance of fucking it up. So in a consent forward kind of way, I was very much like, hey, I think I'm going to do something a little different because, again, dashing expectations is a way to erode trust. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm just going to I'm doing something a little different. I'm just going to give you guys a little heads up. Phil's used this term before and it's never a bad idea with your players informed enthusiastic consent like it wasn't just yeah go ahead and do this we were all like yeah that sounds fun let's do this i mean there was definitely a reply that not only were we accepting it we were on board with this sure and and i at least was eager to see what kind of weird shit phil was gonna pull out i mean yeah me too let me ask a better question sure absolutely so like we're Mm -hmm. talking about trust we all trust phil that's easy right Mm -hmm. like that's easy for anybody that's listening how do we trust somebody that we don't play with all the time how do we facilitate that trust as a game master and offer that trust as a player these are harder questions that's a harder question so part of it is i think as a player you sometimes either have to tell the gm i want to try something can we do that you have to establish that trust from the player side to the gm and as a gm you've got to listen for the points when your players want to do something that is either out of the realm of normal or doesn't use mechanics or is a little um risky as an as an idea and then Show them or talk to them about how you're going to make it work for them. I'll put two things out there. The first one, and I think about this when I used to teach uh, people fate, like on day of fate. So I would just outright say to them, like, look, when I compel you, I'm not going to do it to crush you. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Like when I compel you, I'm looking to make the situation more interesting. 
and also give you this fate point. You were creating a procedural expectation. Exactly, yeah. right? So creating expectations is a good way to start building trust. And then I think this gets into, if I'm, I'm going to reframe your... Not just creating it, then you have to follow through on it. Oh, 100%. More, more than once. 100%, yeah. right? You have to set expectation and meet expectation. And, and you didn't just yes. set an expectation. With that example, you actually set a procedural expectation. Yes. Because compels are a procedure in the game. Yes. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part is I'm going to reframe your difference between trust and faith. Trust is something you can do when you have empirical evidence, right? I've played yeah. 15 years worth of games. I trust Phil. If you are a new player and never sat with me, you can have faith. Oh, I've heard a couple of Phil's podcasts or, hey, this guy, when I sat down at the table, seems pretty cool. Or, hey, during his intro to the game, like, you know, his philosophy of like how he's going to run the game seems to kind of match with me. I will have faith. I will trust without proof. Mm -hmm. Right. I will I will take a leap of faith that this person is going to do it. And I think that's how you build trust is that from a. GM side, you need to set some expectations and meet them. And from a player, you sometimes have to have a little faith. Like, okay, they like everybody else in this group, like when Jerry joined the group or when Glenn joined a group, like everybody else seems to be okay with, you know, this person GMing. Let's see how it is. I'll take a leap of faith. And then if those things get met, the trust starts to build. I think that there are also ways to use the safety tools that we have to set that up. Excellent. The idea of while we always talk about the X card and lines and veils, I think that pause and rewind are a big way. If you put them out on the table and explain them to people. They get part of script change, by the way. Yeah. What is that? What do they call it? Script change. Script, script change. change. Script change. Tells the players immediately this is something that can be done. You can even seed your other players with it. So let them show how it works at some point. When something comes up, I want, you know, can we just pause that and rewind it for a second? Once other players see that in use, and know that it's there, but just by putting on the tables of GM and saying, listen, we're going to create a fun story here. Things might get weird, but if anything comes up and you need to pause, rewind, script change, we can do that, and here it is. And then when they need to do it, be fair with it and show it. Be firm but fair. That's a big thing just to see because you have to have that there. One more thing, McGuinn. No, I was going to say, your safety tool is set expectation, and then just like you said, deliver on expectation, right? If I tell you it's okay to pause and rewind something, then when you do it, it has to be okay that we paused and rewind. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It, it's exactly what you're saying. And you're hundred percent correct. The safety tool is a phenomenal way to also help start building that framework. Go ahead and finish your thought. The second thing is when you're the GM, pay attention to the way the players, your new players react and ask questions because you can tell sometimes when a player is asking a question that they are either nervous or untrusting. When you get a player who sits there, and tries to ask 15 questions for a simple thing where they're trying to make sure they cover all the bases and they're not going to get screwed over. It's okay to see them. Listen, I think you're going for something. What is, you say this thoughts all the time. Actually, both you and Chris do this all yeah, the time. Because I'm just trying to get to the heart of it so we can yeah. move on. So what is it, what is it you're trying to do? <laughs> yeah. What's what your you, intent here? What's your intent here? What are you trying to do? Just yeah. tell me. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. We can do that. I had that with the group I was running before you got, where I had four, five players who would only kind of play with each other a little bit and only play with me a little bit. And they came in with a lot of, GM baggage. Who hurt you? Yeah, that's, that, that's my question. Show, yeah. show me on the GM <laughs> screen, screen. Yeah. where they hurt you. And, <laughs> and there were several times where I'm just like, listen, you're asking 16 questions. What do you want to do? Oh, yeah, you could do that. Just make a dice roll. And if you, if you make it, you succeed. If you fail, then you'll get part of it. And then we'll talk about what the complications are going to be. You, you just said a lot, like right there. Yeah. So much stuff. Okay. Yeah. One, safety tools are procedural expectations. Yes. Yep. Everything you just did was like, 
This is how my game, this is my play culture at my table. Yep. These are the procedural expectations of the play culture at my table. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, you can just tell me what you want to do. I will tell you what the stakes are and what you have to do to accomplish it. Yes. And it will be fair. Like, these are these are the tools that we're talking about to build trust. Yeah, and, and this goes to a thing, I don't want to foreshadow too much, but this has been a thing that's been rattling around in my head. We don't have good ways of communicating our table culture. So it comes up in weird ways when we have players at tables or when we're playing with someone. We don't have like a really clear way of saying, this is my table culture so that you understand it before you, like as you sit down. I think Chris said something very important there. When a player does want to try something and you go to them, the stakes are important. Yeah, absolutely. Like this, no, we, we talk about stakes all the time, but that's really important because if, if you tell the player character, if you try this, this will happen. If you try this and you fail, this might happen. Then they at least know what they're getting into. It is one type of play. It is not the yes. only type yes. of play. But it's you very important. It, it is a play culture thing that a bunch of us do at our tables these mm-hmm. days because it makes it feel more like a game. But if you want to play in the foci where it's more about storytelling and not highlighting mechanics, then that's bad for your tape. But then you do you all have that understanding? This mm-hmm. is the thing that we're talking about play culture, right? Like yeah. if the play culture at my table is that we don't want that stuff, then we have to figure out ways to get around it and be okay with it. And and that's, once again, a procedural expectation that you set for your table. Yeah, and I think, Jerry, what, part of what you're saying is there's a lot in our table culture that resonates with you. But it wasn't always our table cultures. No. Like, if you went back 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, I definitely did not always play like that. As, as I've learned things, like a snowball going downhill, I kind of scoop up and incorporate certain things into my GMing style. And then at some point I'll shed things from my GMing style where I am today is a lot about stakes, intent, those kinds of things. And there are some seminal moments where I've learned in different rule systems, not that I've ever played it, but stakes I learned from burning wheel. Burning wheel taught me a lot about the importance of stakes versus just making skill checks. So in a story-based game system or a story story culture, how would you set the how would you set the the building of faith and trust in that story? As in, like we're playing more in the character setting foci, like we're not gonna talk more about the rules and stuff. Correct. We said that we said the stakes would take them out of the out of the feel of the game. Yeah. So we don't talk about it. We just know that that's the game that we want to play. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when you decide to do something, I'm just like make your roll, and then you trust me to narrate in a way that makes sense because. You have that trust in me because we decided that we're going to play this way. How do you build that trust? You, you d- don't build that trust. You come with the understanding that we're going to play the game that way so that you have trust in that game style. Okay. And you also have faith in the person who's running it. Correct. Mm-hmm. Until you see how they run it, right? And then if they run it, that meets your internal expectations. Mm-hmm. Chris narrates a thing and it works really good and it fits really good for the story. Even if it isn't if it's successful for my character... It builds that trust for no, me. No, I got the way to do I actually have, there's tools to do this, actually. Good. So we have to play a session first because we have to get a baseline. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then at the end of the session, now that we're not playing the game, we can talk about the game so then we can do Stars and Wishes. Yep. Stars and Wishes will reinforce the baseline. Yep. Then once you've reinforced the baseline, then you can go back and do it again. And hopefully you have listened to what everybody has said. So then for, for that three hours, you can do it again. Also, if you want, during your breaks, you can have mini Stars and Wishes sessions so that when you are not playing in that foci, because as we all know, we can't all play in that foci all the time. Correct. Correct. So then you can just have those mini moments and be like, cool, what worked, what didn't work? Yeah. In between, anybody have anything? 
it's especially important to say what you liked as much as it is to say what you didn't like so that you can keep doing those things. They're your tools off the cuff. I mean, yeah. I just thought of that. No, I knew if I asked the question that you'd get us there. Yeah, yeah. it's 100% correct. And again, it goes back to that framework. Not my preferred way to play. No. Oh, no, that's fine. But I'm saying at a very high level, set an expectation, meet an expectation. Correct. Everything we just talked about is some variant of that. of that thing. Using these different tools that we talked about. Exactly. Yep. So you can have all sorts of different play styles. When we play DCC, we play that game very differently than we play other games. And that's okay. There's a certain expectation, and then we meet that expectation. And when we play Ox, that's a very different game, right? So we play it a different way. And we built those expectations because when we first played it, we did a lot of what Chris said where we were like, did this genius thing work? Like what tweak should we make to yeah. it? Did this thing work? And we fixed yeah. and tweaked and fixed and tweaked until we built a reliable expectation that consistently got met. So now we've told you a, a whole bunch of tools to help build trust. Yeah. You, yeah. you just got like a whole like mini trust episode. Well, that's yeah. yeah because well, you need it for this next you thing. You do yeah. need it. So let's, let's talk about the next thing. Games that enable narrative intervention. So uh, these are more tools to help you with this because these are then the game doing the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, it's yep. great. Like some games actually just have this coded in, right? So well, we're about to talk about them. So. Yeah, we'll talk about We're going to talk about first. We're going to talk about games that have it built in. We'll then talk about like if you just want to do this in your game, yeah. like without the game helping you. So why don't we talk about Cypher? Yeah. Cool. So the GM intrusion, that's what we're talking about in the cipher system. This is introducing something unexpected to complicate the scene. So for example, say you're dealing with a bunch of flying bioorganic entities that catalog and protect the ancient data sphere location. That's about as cipher as I, I can mean, think. I mean, that's about as cipher. That's about as Numenera as I could think, right? Yeah, that, that was yeah. fantastic. Excellent job. So then they try to kill you while the, and then while the fight is going on, the GM decides that they want to change up the fight and they cause the floor to crack and fall out from under you. Now everybody's falling in a gravity well that is slowing you down as you go down but you're gonna hit the ground before it hits you, you sure because it's just gonna be fun to finish the next couple of combat rounds falling yeah and then hey you still have to deal with the fact that you're gonna hit the ground exactly the gym gives everybody an experience point because they just intruded on the scene yep. they they didn't set it up they didn't do anything they just made it happen yeah in the public access games there's a mystery presentation that's also a kind of a narrative intervention the gm doesn't give you a choice this is the next mystery that's coming out you have to investigate this mystery or eventually it's going to kill you or do something terrible. Or to do the, something terrible to Dekoya you. County. Yep. Um, yeah, you have no, you have no say in it. No, no, it's just happening. And now you have to answer questions and start taking some actions to deal with it. And that's the first intervention. The flip side of that are the Odyssey tapes, which are the tapes that you get to kind of see parts of the mysteries that are coming along and how they inter- intervene. That is not true. What that they? has nothing to do with it. Oh, really? Odyssey tapes are just Odyssey tapes. They're just weird, wacky, wild things. You have to ah. purposely pull them into the story. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's... But they're the PC side of that. The, the, the narrator gives you the, gives you the tape? Yeah, but the, the prompts on there are all about the PCs yep. once narrating and then uh, improvising around the prompts. Yeah. Yeah, the, and the Odyssey tapes are there to kind of um, help reinforce the weirdness of the genre. Uh, and internalize it as players because like you have to describe some weird ass shit yeah. yeah but once the gm gives the players the tape the players describe yeah. what's on the tape they have some prompts but they describe what's on the tape i just sit there and watch yep. as the game master do you get to pick which tape it yeah is? i do yes. okay yeah but also we don't get a choice like no. one they're not ubiquitous you can't just like pick through a stack of them and take the one you want when you encounter one of these they are usually a singular event which means 
that Chris just gets to decide, like, I want to hear them describe this one. Yeah, there's like 20 tapes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then I also don't get to decide what happens while you're describing it. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, really interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's a real interesting play. The mystery thing is also, I think, interesting because the mystery is very much an intrusion. You don't get to turn it down. Like, you can turn it down. I use quotes. But it doesn't go away. You're just not dealing with it, right? Like, yeah. And that has consequences in the game. So you have to deal with the mystery. And you have to deal with three mysteries. And my group was re has been really bad about dealing with all three mysteries. Yeah, there's one. That one of the one of them yeah, is going to get us. If you're a patron, listen to the one of the one of our uh, upcoming bonus contents. We'll talk about it. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, uh, can yeah. we talk about these three things now? Yeah. Now, now that we've like described. Them? Sure, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So, the mechanic in the first example, and then the GM intrusion is, I'm going to narrate a thing at you that you have no choice about. Yep. And then I will give you currency for it. Yeah, or, I'm buying you off. Yeah. Or some bonus, some benefit. Yeah, and let's be clear. An experience point is both a reroll or a currency of character advance. Correct. It's not a trivial. It's not. It's not a trivial uh, gift. It, and considering that you are encouraged to intrude multiple times in a story, it's pretty nice, actually. Yeah. And it's intending that the experience point currency thing is pretty powerful because you only need four experience points to bump something up, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So spending one of those is a big deal. Yeah. And also, the intrusion, similar to fate, right? The GM has to do something to earn your cookie, right? Like, just like a compel. Except that with the compel, one, you can buy it off. And two, you kind of have to work it into the narrative, right? Like, this thing's happening, oh, I'm going to compel you. I have to compel you to do a thing. Where the intrusion is like, mm, looks like everybody's low on experience points. I'm just going to fuck with the game for a second. Here, everybody take an experience point. They don't point. even have to be low. It's just like, I just feel like fucking with the game. I feel like giving uh, you guys some experience points. Yeah. I'm going to go fuck with the game for a minute. Also, the, the important thing that you said is, it's a choice for the compel. Yes. There, there can't be a choice. Correct. Otherwise, yeah. it doesn't really count. Yeah. The compel is the thing you can just, you can say no to. Most fate players will tell you not to because it is your way of getting fate points. And if the GM's doing it correctly, right, setting expectations here, it should be fun. But it does come with a choice. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, talk about the mystery presentation thing now, too, because it does another thing. It, it yes. indicates a whole other thing. Good. The idea of media res scenes or mm -hmm. hard setting a scene i'm gonna hard set you in the scene and tell you what's happening i'm not gonna tell you how you got there i'm just gonna tell you that you're there doing this thing that's how we open docs that's how we open docs that's how a lot of con games get open i have hard set scenes in our dungeon world game back mm -hmm. in the day like you're just in the middle of this situation now and everybody's like all right like yeah make, okay yeah it makes sense now that goes to trust correct mm -hmm. right like that goes to trust like okay well chris is just gonna open the scene like really like this hard in media res? Yeah, we just play through it. It's cool. Mm -hmm. We're good. Yeah. So, like, that is a tool or a technique that you can use and that people don't think of as being, like, the heavy hand of narration, but it is definitely the heavy hand of narration. When I say, you're doing this right now this way and you're in trouble. You can even do a heavier one for that. Like, if you're really going for thematics, like, for instance, we could be playing, um, and we will be in the future, we could be playing Spectaculars, and I could open a game with, well... You are sailing backwards and crash through a bus as, you know, Galactatron just punched you across the street. Yeah, I had no mm -hmm. choice about being there. Right. And no. I don't have to assign any points, right? I just say, like, you smash into the truck or whatever. Like, now what do you do? So that was an interesting thing that you just said. I don't have to assign any points. Heavy hand of narration often goes better when you don't have any mechanical negative 
situation that comes from it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like in that case, because I did not give you a choice to get punched and I didn't give you a choice to dodge said punch, but I'm doing it because it feels like the first page of a superhero comic. Then I'm just like, yeah, I'm not I'm not assigning you any points. I'm just going to like slam you into this bus and break it in half because I'm making a point. Galactatron's pissed and he already punched you across the thing. What do you do? Yeah, and the point is, you're not taking any damage from hitting that bus. That's actually what we're saying. Let me let me put it conversely. You could do this thing. So they were playing Cortex and it was like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You punch me through the thing. You're like, here, take this D8 glass jaw because you just got it crushed and yeah. take two plot points. Yeah. Sure. That's buying you off. It's buying mm-hmm. me off. That's how you can combine those two things. It's a dick move. Like, let's say we're playing D&D and we open a media res and I'm like, cool. The ogre smashes you with his club, does 10 points of damage and rolls you across the room. You'd be like, what the fuck, Phil? Why would you just knock me for 10 points of damage in a, you know, in a game where, you know, attrition of hit points is, you know, a pretty big deal is yeah. a big deal. That's like a dick move. But if I wanted to just emphasize that, like, you're get you guys are getting tossed around by this ogre, do it without assigning hit points. Yeah. Right. It feels like a cool opening. Or yeah. assign everybody hit point damage and give everybody a point of inspiration. There's a bunch of tools that you can utilize. Yeah. I think the important part here is don't completely screw them over. Yes. Yes. Also, it helps if you buy them off. Yep. And then do your thing like for effect. That is the procedure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. those are the those are the tools that you can use to yes. make this happen. Yep. Yeah. Um the Odyssey tape thing, it's just interesting. I do. I like the Odyssey tape. I think Cordova is a the most underrated designer out there right now. I don't think he gets nearly the respect as how sharp of a designer he is. And I think that it's a really neat way when you are talking about this kind of weird setting of how to build up in the players how weird the setting is it's one thing for me to say to you like oh hey there was this public access station it was really weird back in the 90s and now you're like doing like mysteries to discover what it is right i just told you that right like and you just now have to believe it but by having the tape and turning it to you like he could have right the lesser design of that Mm -hmm. is to just make a text box and Jason wrote it, you read it to the players, like, oh, here's the tape, and this is the things that happen on the tape. It's really weird, right, guys? But by turning it back to the players and being like, hey, as a group exercise, you're going to make up this really weird fucking tape. It makes it weird for the players. For, for those who haven't played the game real quick, what he's talking about is there's a bunch of these, and there'll be a description of a scene, of a starting scene, and then there'll be three prompts that'll talk about something that begins to happen. The camera pans to the basement. The person starts talking nervously. What happens in the basement and what makes everybody nervous about what they see in the shadows Mm -hmm. or what strange thing happened and let the players tell that strange thing. Go ahead, Chris. So there are two ways to do this. And now I modeled mine after the way that Cordova did it because I watched him play the game. Mm -hmm. The way that Jim likes games, he plays in our our public access game. Most people just read the prompt and then answer the question that's associated with it, which I'm like, that's fine, but that's not what I saw. And it works way better the other way. Yeah. What? Oh, just like describe it in character or no. Yeah. Describe like, here's your prompt. You can just mess with this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the way that it, it's, those are written, it's usually a prompt that you read with a question that you answer. Yeah. Now I just tell people to do what they want because I saw Cordova do it. Yeah, sure. It's not actually written in the text anywhere to do that. So, I mean, I'm just want to throw that out well, there. If and, you, yeah. The idea though here is, uh, the game master is giving up their, their narration rights mm-hmm. for a thing to the player characters that have nothing to do with their characters. And honestly, yet they do. Yeah. Right. There's a way, there's a mechanism in the, in the game, game for tying it back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So you actually like, once it gets created, it's kind of fun to actually pull them into the game yeah. and your reward for doing so 
for completing that loop is an experience point. Is an experience point. It's smart. Like I said, I think Cordova is one of the most unappreciated game designers. My point, though, is just like maybe it's okay to give your players some narration rights about things. Yeah. Paint the scene questions sure. matter a lot because they invest characters into the story. So the paint the scene questions are questions that let the players describe parts of the setting. Mm-hmm. Usually they're specified and surrounding something like, how did you know that this family spent their last day here out in the sun having fun? 10 years ago as this place is dilapidated. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're specific, but they're narration that mm-hmm. you don't get to do. Mm-hmm. You're giving up some of your, as the game master, narrative control. Yeah, and yeah. actually because of continuity, you act, once the players declare it, you also have to keep it in there. Yeah. yeah. When I was running my Savage Worlds game that we were literally do, building from the ground up from table sourcing, every week I gave everybody extra piece of currency and I would have a question of the week. Something simple like, you know, okay, we've talked about who's in your neighborhood. Each of you tell me one more business in your neighborhood or you all spent the last two weeks with some downtime. Everybody tell me some place you went and who you talked to there. That let them create characters, create recurring things that were going on in the game. And once they talked about what they did, that was now part of the game. We even did one where tell me about the specifics of one of the religions in the world. Sure. What do they do? And once they did that, they so even if it didn't exist, they could suddenly create, oh, here's a God. This is what they're about. And this is what their followers do. And I'll be honest, it also took some of the heavy lifting off Jerry. Yeah. But <laughs> but on the flip side of it, it gave them something that they could all interact with. And I let them interact with it each with, together. Point is the stuff's scalable. Yeah. It's was, fractal is would, what you like to usually use. Is the fractal is the word I like to use. Well, fractal, right, being the same at multiple levels. Um, but what Jerry's talking about in addition, right, is building player investment. Correct. Right. Yes. And we talked about it at the top of this because I'm going to actually return us right back onto the tracks for this for this episode. We not only talked about trust, we talked about investment, right? Mm-hmm. When you are invested in the game, uh, helps you both with trust and faith because I'm really committed to this game. I will have faith. I will take a leap about whatever's coming up. Mm-hmm. And so the tapes build investment. They do. If yes. you read them paint to the, us. Paint the scene questions build investment. Correct. Yes. If you had, if you answered the prompts. They're not as cool. It, I mean, they, it would be cool. You would make up some weird well, shit. I'm I, sure I would I said be. not as. Right. But, well, no, no. I'm, I guess here's what I'm saying. I think that anybody can make interesting answers to the prompts. Sure. The difference is when we do it, it's an active thing. So it's an active thing for the players and it, it builds an engagement. I suppose that's what I meant by not as cool. It's not as cool go. for the game. Like, yeah, for, for the game. Yeah. Correct. There's another quick investment thing that has to do with public access, which is public access is a type of horror game. Mm-hmm. And one of the toughest things in horror is creating things that the players and their characters find scary. What you find scary is when they create them themselves, they're doing a much better job of picking out creepy things. And I don't know about Chris, but I find yeah. I look I look at what Schmitty and Jim have come up with. I'm like. Well, that's creepier than what I was going to go with, but I buy into it. Yeah, we are we have strayed away from the heavy hand of narration, which paint yeah. the scene as a narration thing. Yep. Um, the things that you were talking about with the people building stuff outside of the game, that's set and build, setting building outside of the game. Yeah. That's not actually narration within the game. That's true. I'm going to just to cap off this piece and we'll move on to the next actually, one. Actually, we're going to move on to the closing because we've talked about everything. That's fine. To cap off this piece, one of the best pieces of advice from horror gaming I've ever gotten was from Ken Height, who basically said what you just said, which is, you can't make people be scared. Yeah. Right. Like they have to want to be scared. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really, again, smart about public access is that move where it's, what do you think is going to happen if you fail this role? It makes me 
tell you what's going to scare me as opposed to if Chris just said, oh, you failed the role. This thing happens. It, I might be scared by it. Also, I might not be. Also, to be fair, that's not a narration thing either. That's just a, a no, that's, player question. That's, a that's, a, right, that's, thing. that's in the mechanics of the game. Yeah. But it's really smart in the idea of let me now tell you the thing that would creep me out the most mm-hmm. in the scene. And if we fail the role, that's what happens. Which is a way to mechanize what Jerry was talking yeah, about exactly. earlier. Don't tell me how my character feels. Let me tell you how my character yeah, feels. Exactly. It's smart. Yeah. Um, the, the game is really smart. I, I do gush about it. I, I was trying not to tried not to gush about no, it. No, it's fine. Right. You should gush about it. It's a, well, it's a smart fucking game. Well, let, let's wrap this up. And yeah. We'll talk right. about another thing. So look, go ahead. Look, man, at the end of the day, like this GM narrative control thing, I don't know that you need to use it sparingly. You need to use it carefully. Yes. yes. You could use it a lot. Just be careful with it. And again, we talked about it earlier, so I'll sum it up. There are two signs that you have misused it. One, you've angered somebody, mm-hmm. right? Somebody feels like their loss of agency, like they've lost agency in a way that was bad. Okay. And the other one is they think you're kind of lazy, right? The <laughs> ham fisted, you made rocks fall so they can't get out of the facility. Mm-hmm. And you know, when they might've wanted to get out of the facility, like they just like, they look at you like, eh, I feel like we're being railroaded here. Yeah. Right. Those are the two things you want to look out for. And the way you avoid those, like Chris said, you be careful with it. If you're building it on your own, you do the thing that we said, you determine the outcome, but you make sure that there's no heavy negative consequence. And even better, if you can pay them off in some way by yeah. through some currency, players will be a little, will give you the lead that you need if you're willing to bribe them. So, and, so bribe them. And feel free to give that heavy hand of narration to the players sometimes in controlled ways. Yes. Yeah. You give them a smaller box to yeah. go run around in. Thank you for listening to Misdirected Mark Plays. Now let's do some Patreon shots before we get out of here. Let's start with the Royal Court. Ty Prunty, known as Lord Timemonger, Lars Henrik Evjan, the Lord Out of Time, Jim, the Royal Merchant Emeritus, Chromatic Chameleon, the Queen's Spy Mistress, J.T. Evans, the Queen's Librarian, Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth, Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice, John Carney, the Court Necromancer, Craig, the Lord of One Name, Tiberius Starcrash Smith, the Baron of Britannia, Eric Bontz, the Were-Gator, and Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. Other patrons include Chris Constantine, Miko Froelich, Eric Simon, Not That Billy Mitchell, Fiona, Huxley, Kathleen Halpern, Christopher Gamelk, Michael Becca-Sperm, Joseph Knoll, Carlos, Heptilemma, Michael Draper, Cubano, Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Joseph Peralta, Brian Kurtz, my Brett, not my Brett, but somebody's Brett, Chris Steele, Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, and Brandon Barnes. Thank you so much for being our patrons. If you'd like more content like this, you can check it out at misdirectedmark.com. If you are interested in supporting the show and other shows on Misdirected Mark Productions, you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMP. You can get a whole bunch of stuff there, including extra bonus podcast episodes, material concerning this game, The Children of the Shroud, that includes character sheets, our game rules, some of our setting stuff, and Phil's thoughts from behind the screen. If that's not your thing, then you can just tell a friend about us. We'd greatly appreciate it. If you're looking for other podcasts to listen to, there are a variety of shows on our network. You can check out Panda's Talking Games with Phil and Senda, where they talk about all kinds of game stuff. The Gnomecast, where a bunch of gnomes get together to talk about gaming topics to avoid being thrown in the stew. 
and Thaco with Advantage, where Ange and Jared talk all about D&D. They're going to talk about it anyway, so why not record it? If that's still not enough content for you, we have a number of other podcasts that we recommend and are friends with. The Tabletop Bellhop, your board game concierge. The Knights of the Night, an excellent AP podcast. Mastering Dungeons, where they talk all about D&D if you want some more D&D stuff. And How to RPG with Sean P. Kelly. You can catch that on YouTube. He's live on Saturday mornings. I'm often in the chat room there. Well, this has been a Misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop. We out.